This is a HeadGum Podcast. Craig, I found a mysterious egg today, and it was printed all over its shell with HTML code. And then I touched the egg, and it hatched. And out of it came Squarespace. (laughs) Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. They help you build your website by helping you claim a domain. They let you sell stuff online. You can market your brand. And you can also see analytics. You can see who's coming to visit your website. Uh, They give you award-winning design and beautiful templates powerful e-commerce tools we have used those e-commerce tools they are indeed powerful mm. and uh for the non-technically inclined there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever and you get 24 7 award-winning customer support anytime you have a question so if you want to make a website go to squarespace.com overdue for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use the offer code overdue to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain, that's squarespace.com slash overdue, save 10%. We can't wait to see what you hatch. Squarespace. podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew and we're here again with the last episode of september it's the last where one where did it go where did it come from where did it go september i don't know cotton eye joe it's time to tell you that this week we read the book aragon by christopher paulini we both mm-hmm. read it mm-hmm. neither of us had read it before nope and um, neither of us will read it again probably <laughs> invited our friend Natasha from the Unspoiled show, a series of podcasts and things that you might want to go check out. Um, she's been on the show before. We always have a good time. So we brought her on to talk about this one. Yeah, it's a it's a good episode, gang. We talk about a lot of stuff, including what originality means in the context of a fantasy novel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Buckle up. Because yeah. we, I think we like the book mostly yeah like no it's it's it is not a we are not piling on the book we just have questions (laughs) (laughs) all three of us had questions and bones to pick and a question that you have is where can i find more more natasha go to unspoiledpodcast.com that's where you can find all the cool stuff that she makes if the question that you have is September's over. What about October? What are you reading for Spooktober this year? Well, we finally did it. We done went and did a schedule, and Craig's going to tell you about it right now. Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. Peace by Gene Wolfe. Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. And bonus episode, Haunted Ohio Ghostly Tales from the Buckeye State by Chris Woodyard. I, that was the one author I didn't write down on my list. <laughs> I had to mm-hmm. flick over to another tab. I was so spooked by mm-hmm. the Buckeye State. Um, <laughs> Andrew spent more time in the Buckeye State than I did, but we have both, I think, been haunted by it. So yes, I so I have ever read any haunted Ohio books, but they're just these like hyper local ghost story books that aver- like the Goodreads page for the first one. Uh, advertises each county of Ohio that it has a story from. Oh, so I that if you live if you live in Ohio and you want to see whether your county was included, you can you can check that out. And 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 Chris Woodyard has you covered. I love it. Um, 
you know, follow us on Twitter, Overdue Pod. It's the email is Overdue Pod. You know what the website is. It's the Overdue Podcast. Whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen to this episode. We had a great time. Yeah. And then tune in for Spooktober. That's going to be fun, too. How do people feel about dragons? Just That's where general? I would love to start. Like we're we're all here to talk about the book Aragon by Christopher Paolini. And it's a word that's very similar to dragon. It's just one letter different. And there is a dragon in the book. How do we feel about dragons? <laughs> I, I mean, they're they pretty s- boss, right? In they're general. Like badass, but like I don't anything that's not mammalian. It's just in, it's not as cuddly. I want an animal that I can like snuggle. The one pro is that they are hot blooded, evidently. So, sure. I checked it and saw that it was hot blooded. (laughs) So, you would rather, you would rather ride on like a never ending story dog lizard than than a dragon. Unless he smells like a dog. It's how, how do you bathe like a, yeah, an 80 foot long dog dragon i don't know <laughs> maybe has fur like a pomeranian maybe and so like he doesn't cat? smell as bad <laughs> sure Can maybe I he's hypoallergenic hypoallergenic <laughs> yeah i need a falcor that doesn't set off my allergies it's very important <sighs> so i don't know dragons are like we're gonna talk a lot about tropes of fantasy <laughs> novels today i think mm-hmm and dragons are like up there. They're one of the biggest ones, both literally and figuratively. They are often the biggest tropes around. And one I just, thing, you know, yeah. <laughs> one thing I did like, I was reading about other. So we'll talk about Christopher Paolini and his uh, his multi book Odyssey here in a, in a bit. But I was reading. There's a book later in the series that has uh, point of view chapters from the dragon. Whoa. And he said that he modeled those on the way that he thinks a cat would think because they're very like proud and like sort of into themselves, but also, you know, happy to be around people as long as you don't bother them too much. I don't know. I thought the cat was an interesting animal to start from if you're imagining what a dragon's thoughts are like. I have uh, heard that comparison before, actually. The that's idea. not uh, that's not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make a good point. Um, but yeah, I mean that makes sense to me in its way. I can see why that comparison gets made. Like uh, like Sassy from Homer Bound, mm-hmm. a very proud oh, right. feline yes. who doesn't yeah. truck with kind of normal dog loyalty behavior stuff Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for sure or at least i think in that story she's sort of in denial about it and chance teases her a lot this is not a homer bound podcast this is a podcast (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) about the book aragon by christopher paolini it does prominently feature a single dragon Mm -hmm. um can i tell you guys something that i didn't catch the fact that it's the word dragon but with an e instead of the d <laughs> until someone pointed it out and i felt like oh, no, such wait. a dodo bird oh no yeah i d- it didn't i didn't even notice and once they pointed it out i got like so angry but i was i was too focused on it being like aragorn with an e yep. and no r yeah so i didn't yep. know which thing that was being um uh, let's say paid homage to <laughs> why not the, both with the name of this character <laughs> 
So I have not read any other books by Mr. Paolini. (laughs) I've heard of this book before. And I knew that it was like an early aughts fantasy novel, kind of that like happen. Harry Potter was also happening as it came out. So there's I mean, the Lord like, of the Rings movies that just had come yeah. out earlier in that decade, and so That's everybody was on it. It was like there's a gold rush for like what kid or YA lit that could yep. be turned into some kind of high fantasy movie. Mm-hmm. Sure, with and, greasy and looking I, guys and swords and stuff. <laughs> I was familiar with the I, I had heard of the rep of the book a little bit, and by rep I mean reputation. Sorry, I shouldn't have shortened that. <laughs> um, what would people have thought you meant? I don't know. I just wanted to be clear. I wanted to be specific. There's okay. a lot of specific things in this book too. Um, that it was like kind of, for lack of a better word, basic, like pretty at its at its best it's like it's a fancy novel if you mm-hmm. think there's stuff in fancy novels it's in this book yeah and that it was written by a guy when he was very young and like that both was like part of the marketing hype and also part of the like knocks against it I don't know if either of you knew that coming in. I really knew basically nothing about this book going on, except that there was like a, a dragon on the cover. And so I assumed it had dragons in it. Good assumption. <laughs> that yeah. was about it. I had heard that it was written by somebody really young, um, but I had it in my head for some reason. They were like 12. And uh, I was given it a lot more leeway when I still thought that and then started to read some Wikipedia stuff and was like, oh. Um, (laughs) but I didn't like the main thing that I knew was that it was really mixed because, um, when you guys contacted me about doing a episode together, you had suggested a couple different titles and I put it forth in the patron group, which one would you guys be interested in? Mm -hmm. And Aragorn got the most immediate, like, I really want to hear your thoughts on this, but Mm -hmm. was followed up after I said yes uh-huh. By many, oh, you don't want to do Aragorn or Aragon. <laughs> Sorry, see, yeah, I'm see? doing it. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm doing it already. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, so I was, I went into it aware how many folks just weren't into it, but that it really was very mixed. I think if you actually like took a tally, it would have been about 50 50 the comments that's, for and against. Yeah, that's kind of what I want is a book where some people are very excited about it and some people are the exact opposite of excited mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it. <laughs> like I want I need everybody to have chosen a side. I don't want anybody in the middle on this book. No and that seems sitters. to be where people are on Aragon. Yeah. Um, Aragon. Yeah. One of our one of our patrons recommended this book to us in the first place. Um, I have a quote here from Nathaniel who said, I wanted to recommend a book that helped me out in my younger years. It is titled Aragon by Christopher Paolini. The author has an interesting background as well that I thought you guys would enjoy. <laughs> Which I didn't know what to make of that when I saw that quote. <laughs> And we're going to talk about some stuff that I read in the Rolling Stone magazine (laughs) Uh, that I honestly, I think is like some of it is just kind of like, wow, that's some wild stuff. And then there's some of it that actually does kind of feed into what's going on in the book in a way that he's embraced and how he talks about the novels also. So Mm -hmm. um, what should we know about Christopher Paolini first before we talk about Aragon himself? 
Well, so Christopher Paolini is, uh, he wrote this book. Let's talk about him and, and his book first. Is he wrote this when he was 15 and he was available to write a book when he was 15 because he graduated from high school early. And he graduated from high school early because he was homeschooled. And so yeah. I think he, like, he had technically graduated from like an accredited online high school and just was like done with that facet of his education. And to hear him tell it, like, he couldn't drive, he couldn't do anything. He tried to make like a hobbit hole for himself, but he couldn't. He spent two weeks digging a hole. But he, couldn't, he dig, couldn't dig anymore. He couldn't dig very deep in the Montana soil. So he was like, what if I wrote a book? And he's just like he is like modeling himself on the the model of the Renaissance man where you like you'd know if if you had money and some like, you know, other support in that period and were not a peasant, you would know four languages and know how to play the violin. I think those are the exact things that he that he said. Um, the language. So he was like, yeah, like, why don't I just like. do a th- do this thing that seems interesting to me. I've read a lot of books. How about I try to write a book? And so he wrote a book and like that's, and his whole life since then has been informed by that one decision <laughs> to write a book. Like he, as of the, this 2011 Rolling Stone article that Craig referenced, he was living in a large mansion with his family. This is mom and his dad and his sister. Um, and the family business was this series of books, um, which yeah. had just concluded in, in 2011. I don't, and, and, he was pretty uh, guarded about his personal life in that. And so not like not, nothing that I researched since then indicated whether he was still living in that mansion or what his like status was. I know that he is working with his sister on the movie adaptation of a, like a sci-fi novel that he put out in 2020. Um, that uh, novel is called to sleep in a sea of stars. And it's for, it seems like it hasn't, gotten as much attention as the the Aragon stuff, but the reviews that do exist of it are a bit more like uniformly positive. So like maybe he's matured as a writer now that he's pushing 40. I would hope that that, that would happen for any of us. <laughs> but his yeah, his his whole life has sort of been defined by doing these books and by this like non-traditional like path that he has taken through life and this like close relationship with his family. And like that's the defining thing about him, at least his public persona. Yeah. I don't know if you had anything to add about that, but that's the rundown. Sure. I mean, this book was published originally before it was distributed by Knopf. Knopf. Mm -hmm. I hate that. Yeah. (laughs) I do that. I I think every time pronounce every letter, they put every letter in there. Say every single one. Knopf. Before it was published by them, it was published by Paulini International LLC, which was his parents' publishing company. Oh, that's the same name that he has. Do you think? Funny I wonder if they're related. Mm. And funny that the book is the first in the inheritance cycle. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the I believe that that publishing outfit was set up because his parents had split from this like survivalist cult in Montana and had published like a tell all we got out book because Mm -hmm. they were getting very militaristic or something. 
And yeah, this so, is the uh, the Church Universal and Triumphant, which uh, entered the public consciousness in the 1980s when they said that the world as we knew it would end in nuclear war between the U.S. and Russia in the year 1990. <laughs> and uh, when that when that did not come to pass, of course, the leader of this church said that the they had averted it with their prayers. And then after yeah. she died, the group mostly disintegrated. But yeah. Yeah, his dad went on Oprah and was like, "We got to get out of here. I'm going to write a book about it." And so they had like a they had a schema for publishing. And then when he dug a hole and then decided to write a book, they figured that they would do that. <laughs> and <laughs> there's some like interesting stuff around the initial like he was going around the first time he went into a public high school was to like wear a medieval costume and hawk the book to a bunch of kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look. <laughs> Hello, children. <laughs> Craig and Andrew have been very kind and patient, and they will be the voice of giving this guy a lot more benefit of the doubt than I am willing to give. Fair and enough. Look, I come to this from a very particular place in my heart where I get mm. what's happened to him. I understand. I went to college for technical theater and i started college in the year 2003 with mm -hmm. lord of the rings just looming in my head yeah everything that i designed for every project that i was assigned <laughs> was fucking lord of the rings everything i couldn't <laughs> help it i loved those movies so much i loved the design so much i applied to weta workshops for an internship like i was so oh wow so in committed it. to it yeah so like look i completely understand being super influenced by something to the point where you like can't see straight and can't you just can't come up with your own idea yet because it's so influential. Mm -hmm. That said, <laughs> this is why you don't put a kid in a position to be published <laughs> at 15 <laughs> slash 19 when it actually happened. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like this is the kind of thing that I'm not trying to, to you know, take away from the accomplishment of writing a book at 15. Because writing yeah. a book is hard, yeah. And just finishing it is something that a lot of people who start writing don't do to begin with. Yeah. So that is truly a feat and something to be proud of. But what you do when you're this age is you write something bad and then you put it in a drawer and then when you finish college and you've grown you come back and you find it by accident and you read it and you go oh god <laughs> and i kind of feel bad for him in a way that like he got encouraged to such a degree and it's a confluence like perfect storm of the extreme privilege of being you know homeschooled by a mom who didn't have to work and they have their own publishing house they can publish for you and they can fund a book tour like that is just a kind of of advantage that most people don't have mm -hmm. and i just i wonder what kind of writer he might have turned into if he didn't get published and like acknowledged so quickly and didn't mm -hmm. get boxed into this particular series so quickly because 
you know, when you, it's the same as like choosing a major when you're 17 years old, you don't know what you want to do and you're just experimenting with stuff. And it's kind of wild that we expect teenagers to like choose their course in life. Well, not just choosing a major, but also like the, the flip side of that coin, like choosing the financial commitment that Mm. it is to get that degree in the first place. Like the, the way that that decision that you make, I mean, to, to my memory, I made it kind of blithely, just like, oh, this is what people do. This is what happens. And so yep. I'm going to also do it. Mm-hmm. And then you do it and then you get out and you're like, oh, wait, how many zeros do I owe this <laughs> this financial institution that I don't that well, I don't recognize the name of? Like it, it is it's it's a big decision. And that, that's an actually it's a really interesting like framing to, to, to think of him as a victim of this like success and this, victim like, asterisk encouragement yeah victim asterisk like obviously <laughs> he, wrote, he yeah. lives in an opulent mansion in montana with his family and they all are and he goes to new york city and buys like swords and then tells people in the rolling stone about his cool sword that he bought like yeah that's that's not that's the kind of victimhood that we could all aspire to I <laughs> but like in terms of his literary output viewing him as a as a victim of this like early encouragement and success and i do wonder if we did ever come back to this like sci-fi book that he wrote Mm. if we would see because i mean he hasn't he didn't write a ton of stuff between that and this so there was a little bit of a break and maybe some chance for for him to to think and and to reflect on what he wanted his next work to be and so yeah maybe we do see that like his evolution as an artist reflected in that book but yeah like when craig and i were talking about this storytelling in this like it is striking i think how much like the the stock tropey characters like the big info dumps like the the, just the the sort of awkward chunky way that the story (laughs) moves forward is reminiscent of somebody putting together D and D campaign for the first time where they're just like, they're, they're looking forward to having some fun. They are cribbing liberally from every single like fantasy thing that they've ever experienced and kind of chopping and screwing it to, to like make it their own, but it's still very derivative. <laughs> and, well, and, and having like made some of those bad D and D campaigns in high school, there's like, Sometimes part of what you're doing is kind of hoping that your group like gets the reference. Yeah, like, there's that like, oh, I'm doing a, I'm doing a thing where we have to collect the Dragon Balls. Get it? Like oh that's what God. I'm doing. You know, you that's get amazing. the like. How do you work a MacGuffin into your thing? That kind of thing. Um, I there's some there was a nugget in the Rolling Stone interview. I think I maybe saw it somewhere else. The story he tells about the publishing like arc. Is that like he was the family's breadwinner, like his book, like basically like made or broke their family finances at the time. Um, but there is this <laughs> immense like, uh, like there's this moment where a guy, f- where a guy from Knopf like finds it in a supermarket, gives it to his kid, and his kid doesn't make any noise in the car, and he's like, "Oh, you like that book, huh? I guess I'll buy it," which is like a weird. <laughs> thing that happens 
I mean, I, I, will, like, I will say before you continue, that's a very interesting financial decision for his parents to have made. Like that is true. not yeah. him being the breadwinner for that family is not the it's not the fall of a 16 year old. It is no, a thing no, no, that no. his adult parents chose to do to him. Yeah. Yeah. I also I also found an interview with him uh, on CNN um, where they're like, check out this kid with an imagination. Apparently, the kid was also in a like a Sanjay Gupta video series about like creativity and genius. I tried to track down oh. video of it. I couldn't find it <laughs> anyway. Um, but in the interview, he basically is like, hey, I had I was reading this. I read this story called what is it jeremy thatcher dragon hatcher or something that's Um, awesome and he's like i liked the idea of a i I think i remember that book actually and he's like hey i thought that book was neat and i liked the idea of a kid finding a dragon and i thought like what kind of world would it be to have a dragon egg in it what kind of kid would it be interesting to find a dragon egg and who else might know about it if the world is one in which dragon eggs are rare or something like that? And I just found it interesting. This was a, on the press tour of the second book. He was on CNN and he was up front about like some other text that had inspired the story he had written. And he's had to fall back on and fans of the series have had to kind of fall back on that. Like, look, he was. 15 and 16 and he'd read all these cool books of course he's gonna put those books into what he wrote which is probably gonna be the focus of the rest of our discussion (laughs) as we go through the plot of this book and all of the other books it reminds us of right i I really do okay just real quick um Mm -hmm. i watched the aragon movie last night oh boy yes we haven't talked about that yet (laughs) It turns out that the book is so derivative that the movie didn't have there be Urgles or elves. Everybody's mm-hmm. just like a weird looking dude. <laughs> <laughs> the Urgles, like I didn't get it at first that they were meant to be not another like orcish. I oh, was like, sure. what is this half-hearted makeup they've got? Because they mm-hmm. all have red eyes, but their skin just looks really dirty. Uh Um, like they're miners that just came out from underground kind of (laughs) and uh eventually i was like talking on the discord and somebody was like oh yeah and they totally did away with the the elves or urgles and i was like oh is that why this looks so weird they thought that would seem too much like a lord of the rings ripoff and they just didn't put it in the movie which i think is a real indictment like why are you going to adapt this if you are going to completely change the universe it's built in and it evidently sort of like i mean the movie did very badly so that's probably the main thing but it i as i understand it would have completely like shelved any potential for doing the second book in the series as an adaptation because so much of it is based on as the just different like elf like stuff. groups yeah. of yeah of races in this world so um but the it, it's it is striking how i mean so the magic system is le guin yeah the the kinds of people who like populate this world are tolkien and then the plot is star wars <laughs> and like it's those so are star the wars. three 
things that you need to understand going into to Aragon. So like it, it is it is derivative down to the point where elves like came to this kingdom of Algacia or whatever it's called from somewhere over the sea and they don't like to talk about it to anybody. Like it is so just like down to the detail mm-hmm. lifted from Tolkien. It's not even okay, what can I do to put my own spin on elves? It's like what if Tolkien elves existed here also right (laughs) i just moved on from that so andrew you you're a big wheel of time guy natasha i don't know how much wheel of time you've read like have not read any because that stuff that all that stuff all started for that amazon show come on everybody (laughs) (laughs) like those novels started before this book i don't know where the game of thrones novels are time wise to this i think point. those both started in like the early to to mid 90s yeah and 96 I, I, was the first was game of thrones and wow okay 98 i think clash of kings and then it just grew progressively exponentially more yeah i, I want to say after. like like 91 92 was around when the first wheel of time book came out so it was a it was a similar wave okay i i ask because like so i think a lot of times when we talk about like con- newer fantasy worlds and works like we do put them in conversation with tolkien for better and for worse like that's just it is what it is because so many of these tropes like bled into other media very very quickly we've all we've all been steeped in them our entire lives and so anything that like plays with the basic colors but maybe like swaps them around on the palette or something um that is usually what we're responding to. And we've talked about it a bunch when we've read different fantasy novels for the show. And it was so interesting to read this book that is like, no, what if I just painted by the numbers? Like, what if I just put red where red goes and blue where blue goes? <laughs> I can and understand like, the appeal of this book if you haven't read Lord of the Rings yeah. yet. And if you aren't super familiar with Star Wars yet, like as a kid, I first consumed the Narnia books and like p- just tore through them and probably oh, read yeah. the whole series yeah, like twice. Absolutely. Yep. And when I was about, I think nine or so, I was like, all right, I'm kind of done with Narnia. And people keep saying I should try Lord of the Rings. And I tried Lord of the Rings and there was 12 pages of a mountain range description and i was like i don't like this and also the introduction of the uh nazgul were really scary Very oh, scary. And I, I was not I was ready truly creeped out by yeah. the nazgul stuff as a kid yeah so i think this would be a really good like in betweener you know where yeah. it's like narnia is a little bit too little kid and lord of the rings is a bit too advanced and it this is like a nice sort of i can see that most people who were pro Aragon in the group were people who read the book when they were like 11 and 12 years old. And I yeah, think yep. this mm-hmm. makes total sense. Well, but yeah, this is coming come... at it as a 37 year old woman who reads <laughs> books for a living now. Yeah. <laughs> not, not awesome. Well, that, that kind of stuff has come up with, with much better regarded books for me too. Like when I read Dune for overdue um, a few years ago, I like, I, I didn't not enjoy it, but I also knew that if I had read it when I was like 15, it would have shaped my like my outlook and my yeah. taste in books in a way that it could not do when I was in my like late 20s or however old I was when I read it in the first place. Like it is some books you have to meet at a time in your life to really like understand the like reaction to them. And I think that this is one of them. Like 
when you read a thing that is super derivative, but you have no experience of the books that it is deriving from, hey, guess what? It's going to feel really fresh and awesome <laughs> because you don't know what you don't know what they're ripping off when they're putting this book together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's doing hero's journey stuff. It's doing Joseph Campbell stuff. But if you've never seen Star Wars: A New Hope, like that's not going to bug you that. We'll talk about the plot in a few minutes, but like it's not going to bug you that there's just the the murder of his uncle scene from Star Wars in the book. Like that's if you've never seen that movie, it doesn't matter to you. You're like, oh no, that happened in Aragon. My I could not. (laughs) When 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 bad Star Wars literally that it was burned down. They couldn't just have him die another way. It had to be the burn down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 also, like, Arwen. I almost called her Arwen. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. I'm trying. I'm not trying to be a dick about it. No. Arya sends him the uh, egg, and it's just R2-D2 with the, you know, like. Oh, um, no, you're. Oh, no. Yeah, that's it is. how it's it What opens. if R2 D2 hashed and a dragon came out? Oh, what exactly. the movie is. <laughs> and like he's seeing visions of her in a hologram. I mean, a dream. You know, it's just all, all of the little elements are so close that I just, it, there, there's a part of me that's like a little insulted. And I know mm. that, again, he was so young, but I'm just like, man, that was like one of the most formative films in history in terms yeah. of, you know, like, and you, you, did you, did you, did you really think nobody was going to notice? <laughs> <sighs> well, and I, I guess if your parents are your editors and publishers, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe you see that people are already vibing with this book and you're just like, okay, let's get the cash and run. Yeah. We need the but cash. Maybe, maybe also it's your job to say, You've done some really interesting stuff here. I really like the the way that you've done some of the fight scenes and some of the individual characters you've come up with are really, really interesting. Maybe you should take those and 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 do something more more <laughs> unique with them. I don't know. Like, could you just make it better? I guess. Look, I I as a former gifted child who feels damaged by that experience mm-hmm. and knows that I am not alone in that, mm-hmm. I cannot imagine how much more damage something like this must do. So Can he, we t- I talk still, about- I still have like, <laughs> a, have a lot of sympathy. The one question that I have though, is oh how God. much did he buy into his own hype? That's, that's what I really want to know. Question. And I don't know. There was some quote that, that keeps getting circulated that was in my writing. I strive for a lyrical beauty somewhere between Tolkien at his best and Seamus Heaney's translation of Beowulf. Yeah. Well, and there's a, uh, in that Rolling Stone thing that we've Uh referred to a couple of times, there is a, his only response to the question of like how derivative the book is, is, uh, quote, shall we ding Joyce for reworking the Odyssey? That's the way culture works. And like, number one. Sure. Way to way to like pick one of the most like influential works in 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 literature to compare yourself to, my dude. Like we haven't done Ulysses for overdue. I think. I mean, we will eventually if we keep doing the show for long enough. Unless one of us like dies, and I'm terrified. I know, but like also my understanding of what James Joyce did was not to create a guy named 
Bodicius <laughs> and to write a sort of note for note remake of the Odyssey and say that it was his own special thing that he made. <laughs> I just can't get over the like I because it just sounds like he bought into his own hype. And I he's yeah. the exact type that would write Dante today, where he puts himself into the echelon of other like oh my spectacular God. writers oh, and man. poets. He's already doing <laughs> oh, you're it in right. conversation. <laughs> Yeah, Christopher Paolini goes down to hell and he's like, oh, hey, it's my buds, Tolkien and Ursula K. Le Guin and C.S. Lewis. And we're all just kicking it down here, having a good time. <laughs> this rules. I, lo- I like I, I'm glad that we've talked about the fact that, like, as a lot of young readers, people probably read this book and maybe that reminded them of a movie they saw once, but they weren't like steeped in all these stories. So this was kind of fresh for them. I also am glad that we're balancing this with the Joyce comparisons and the Heaney <laughs> mentions. Because, yeah, I think if you're going to soldier through what was a planned trilogy that turned into four books, like you do that have to itself buy in. is like ripping off other fantasy authors. <laughs> like everybody says they want to do a trilogy that then turns into more books. Sorry. That, you, that, that in and of itself like you've bu- yeah i think you're right natasha like to continue with this whole enterprise you have to buy into it because like your whole family is working on this now mm-hmm. someone you're i what they were working on these they were working on the movie which stars among others jeremy irons john malkovich and rachel vice as the voice <laughs> of the dragon so jarring um, <laughs> Her as the voice of the dragon. I listened to the audiobook and I will say the narrator does an amazing Safira voice where he's like, hello, youngling. And it's like, (laughs) he does manage to make it feminine, but it's like growly throughout. I kept thinking, man, this guy must have just torn through like Hall's cough drops (laughs) on his downtime. But yeah, Rachel Weiss as the voice does not work at all. It's she's she's like sexy because she can't help it. I mean, she's yeah. like one of the hottest well, yeah, women I mean, alive. She's Rachel Weiss. Come on, yeah. <laughs> but but to to have a have a movie made of your book when you're only on the second book of the series when you're nineteen hmm. or twenty, like you're gonna you can't help but eat the hype. They're putting it in a bag and strapping it to your face. Like, so yeah. many pe- so many people are telling you you're great. You're you must be great. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. should we talk about? Should we talk about the story? And talk about the book Aragon. Sure. We'll find out how great it is. Sure. Or not. I don't know. Well, and then I, I mean, so we can either do that and I can come back to like what reviews that I read said were good things about the book, or we can like bring those up as, I I don't know when the best time. So the, I guess I'll just do it real quick. Like I I read uh, Diana Wynne Jones, who is the writer of the Crestomancy books and the moving castle books. Yeah. Um, So she wrote in The Guardian in 2004 about the first book that um, uh, Paolini has wrestled the ponderous cliches into a clear and forceful narrative. Um, uh, Aragon and his dragon mature together believably, but but better still, Paolini has achieved a portrayal of true affection between boy and dragon without ever laboring the point, and this shows real skill. Um, seeing all this, I can't help feeling that the adulation and publicity he- heaped on Paolini has done him a grave disservice. He must now be under huge pressure to go on doing the same thing, even unto the fourth and fifth volumes of the series, whereas he should be left alone to discover where his real gifts lie and develop them. So saying basically like, yes, this is super derivative, but his own like 
energy and like conviction uh, with the story and like the, the characters like that is what carries through to the reader, like despite all the sure. derivativeness and mm-hmm. like that is what people are responding to. And that is why the book is beloved, like to the extent that it is. And I did that, that did resonate with me because I didn't have a bad time with this book. Like I, I can identify every reference point for every single thing that he's doing. And I can still think that some characters like really work as like, maybe not unique, but definitely like interesting, like implementations of, of longstanding ideas. And I don't know, like it, it, and it, and it moves forward at a a really good clip. And I think that he writes an action sequence well in a way that, that not everybody can do it. And so like there's stuff here that, that does work. And I don't want to give the impression that none of it works just because a lot of it is, like trite or done or basic or whatever word it is that we want to, we want to use. Um, so yeah, that, I guess that's where I'm starting from with this discussion of what the book is. Who? Yeah. Natasha, what do you got? Um, okay. So <laughs> you could disagree with my, my Oh no, I know assessment. that. Trust me. Sure. That's not a problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't want you to feel weird about it, but like, just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about like, so I think part of the issue for me is uh, being a woman and just sort of being like over it with fantasy sure. a lot. Sure. Um, well, and there, is, and there are like two women in this book. One of whom's unconscious, literally <laughs> unconscious for three quarters of the fucking book. Well, I guess the other one's a dragon. Like if you like at, at bet, like the most interesting female character is a dragon. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of Angela, who's like the weird Deus Ex Machina yeah. that pops in here and there. Um, literally, yeah. his sister. She's named yes. after his sister. Her description is the same as his sister. It's his sister. It's Christopher Paolini's sister, Angela, who's in the book as a <laughs> wizard, as a cool wizard, <laughs> a really old, older than she looks wizard. I love yeah. her. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, she was like one of my. Fe- she's like just somebody dropped Luna Lovegood into Star Wars. Just yeah. really mixed it up for me a little bit. Um, but yeah, I feel like, cause that was also my issue. Like I covered Dune for the book club and Dune has this whole thing with like this female led tradition that is very sacred. And then this like dude just mm. turns out to be like the figurehead of it and takes over the whole thing. And I was so angry. Yeah. Yep, yep, so yep. I have a type of baggage that I bring to things because of that. Um, and I found a lot of the like descriptions to be just tortured a little Mm -hmm. bit. Like Mm -hmm. he can't just say lush green leaves. He has to say like the rich verdant trees were (laughs) rippling as if in a gale force. Like it's just all too much. And he adverbs the hell out of every sentence and it, so for me, it felt like it dragged when it actually things were moving forward, mm-hmm. but I was getting so distracted by the language that he was using. It just, that's one of the things about being a young writer is that you think you need to use a thesaurus all the time. Mm-hmm. And really yeah, the simplicity right. is what you want, but you don't get that right away. You're trying to impress mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Um, like more, more words must be better writing, right? Because right? I'm using, I'm using more words. <laughs> and uh, Come on. And when like the whole Obi-Brom Kenobi thing where it's like (laughs) eventually he's like, 
reveals that he used to be a dragon rider and it's like this was a surprise to nobody yeah that Aragon. was a bad that was not a great reveal mm-hmm. yeah, I, he takes like the the stage makeup off of his hand and he also has a shiny dragon spot on his hand How are your ears? They are average in most of the ways. Yeah, sure. But how are they how like they doing? How do they feel? I can't help but notice I'd, that aside I, from the answer is still average. I think. Yeah, aside from the earbuds you got in there right now, they're looking a little empty. I think you need something oh, that you can put in your ears. Yeah. Well, what do you got for me, bud? A podcast. Well, look at that. It's called Book Dreams. It's a show for everyone who loves books and misses English class. Each episode co-host Julie Sternberg and Evie O'Halem explore things like the genius of your favorite picture books to books about superstition and sports to the hows and whys of hoarding. Cram that in your ears. Julie and Eve have interviewed authors like Jill Santopolo, also an editor for numerous public figures, and Matt Haig, author of A Boy Called Christmas and the memoir Reasons to Stay Alive. Episodes feature experts in topics ranging from running independent bookstores to how street addresses have shaped our world. I know they've shaped mine. Book Dreams is brought to you by the Podglomerate and is a member of Lit Hub Radio. New episodes run every Thursday. You can subscribe to Book Dreams. I'm getting like in like a dreamy mode right now. Yeah, look I'm at excited. you. You're going to go subscribe to Book Dreams, I think. You can subscribe to Book Dreams on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this show which is not book dreams, it's called Overdue. I, can I implore us to do some basic plot setup? <laughs> why don't, why don't you do it okay. since you're so interested in it? Craig? I just feel like it might be useful for someone who's listened to us uh, kind of talk around a book for 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah. No, which and I've, I think we've, we've made some good points already, but I want to make sure... Now people can rewind and they can really know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. There's an opening gambit where a lady has an interesting rock and <laughs> a shadow man <laughs> who's enlisted some Urgals, mm-hmm. uh kills her friends, kidnaps her, and she makes the rock teleport away. That's the opening. Mm-hmm. Yep. Can we read cool. the first sentence? Please do. Please Wind howled through the night, carrying a scent that would change the world. <laughs> yes! <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> what does that mean? No, that's not any... What do you What's mean? <laughs> I just like... That, that sense, it's just you're promising a lot with that, dude. And I thought it was really going to be something scent-related... I genuinely mm-hmm. thought, like, oh, is there some nope. magic that's like, you know, there's a gas or powder in the yeah, air like that did thing? But no. no, he just was trying to be like, big shit was going down that night, <laughs> and he just decided to really <laughs> hit it too hard. But so Andrew, Andrew had told me Andrew started reading the book before me, and he was, he messaged me a little bit about the like the D and ness like give me some give me some fancy tropes, daddy kind of energy <laughs> of the book. That, yeah. And I've highlighted one of the sentences on the first page, which is talking about this shade who 
you know, kidnaps this elf lady. And it says, around him shuffled 12 Urgals with short swords and round iron shields pointed with black, painted with black symbols. They resembled men with bowed legs and thick, brutish arms made for crushing. And I just <laughs> highlighted when, like, hell yeah. Like, I'm in this. I don't, These arms I don't are made for I crushing. Like yet. <laughs> I know what's happening now. I know what world I'm in. There are, I don't know what an Urgal is, but it's got arms made for crushing. Did I do that? Oh, Thank no. you. <laughs> No. Thank you. Yes. Now you'll never unhear it. Thanks. That was 100% my reaction. Also, when I started <laughs> when I started watching the movie yesterday and it opens with the kingdom of Alagazia and my fiance was sitting next to me but he couldn't stay and mm-hmm. he heard it he like did like a spit take with his drink and then just <laughs> went see you later Alagazia and I don't know why but that just lodged in my brain and i loved it so much so yeah between now, that and urgles did you confirm with a third party that he had plans or did he just hear that line and was like oh hey actually i've got something that i you know what he was going to do i need to I go, to go do. back to my home planet now <laughs> he was gonna go play around at D. yeah so you know big heavy nerd energy in this house yeah i mean it's probably he probably would have gotten a pretty similar experience if he'd stayed and watched the movie his <laughs> character is a moose, which i'll tell you Ooh. what really got my attention a lot more than anything mm, i'm already in more this interested book. yeah yeah so uh so the urkels and the shade surround yeah. this lady and she makes the pretty rock go away somewhere and then, and then we Greg? we spend several chapters meeting aragon he's a boy who lives in nowheresville in but he's Algeria. almost a man craig he's almost yes a he's man. six months on the from cu- being a on man. the cusp of manhood he is he okay so that's a thing that if somebody you know you're an adult reading this book. You've read about Christopher Paolini. Uh, Paolini, you've read some comments from Paolini in the press. He certainly is not afraid to overlap his own experience of like growth as a late teen young adult in along with Aragon's. Like he thinks that like this, he modeled this kingdom after the the fucking wasteland of Montana. I don't know, the beautiful <laughs> wastes of Montana that he's writing about. And I'm not saying that as like, I'm not dunking on man- Montana. It's just like, he's like, it's fantasy. Montana is what I've created here for you. It has a giant desert in it, um, which I don't think is in Montana, but fair enough. Um, <laughs> well, I, we could check the, the American map. West. I think that there's a map yeah. of Allegasia hanging up behind Andrew there that we can consult. <laughs> Well, interesting. It is just a map of the state of the United State of Montana. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's an orphan. He didn't know his mom left him with his aunt and uncle. He didn't find out that that happened until his aunt died. And she was like, oh, no, you're not mine. We're your aunt and uncle. I'm dead now. And he's got a cousin that he lives with. And like they're just kind of living their lives. They um, they live in a place near a place called the Spine, which is sort of like a radioactive exclusion zone of mountains where like you know there are monsters there and nobody wants weird artifacts that come from there. Um, and quote the Spine was one of the only places that King Gal Galbatorix wait Galbatorix 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 haven't watched the film. I can say with confidence. Yeah, it's Galbatorix played that by King... uh, by. Oh my God, John Malkovich. That's John Malkovich. Wild. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Spine was one of the only places that King Galbatorix could not call his own. 
So he's <laughs> off in the he's off on a you know if we're on a rock where the planet is furthest from or whatever the line from Star Wars is, um, <laughs> and he finds the fancy blue egg. He doesn't know it's an egg. He thinks it's a rock. He tries to sell it. No one wants it. And there's this old guy who's a storyteller in town who uh, tells a big story about dragons and the em- and the king. And, and the empire. The empire. Oh, my God. I just realized that. Yeah. What an interesting word to use for the... Did, the did sort y'all... of political system. <laughs> this guy, this guy, Brom is telling this story that everyone's like, yo, 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 if he actually told that story in like a real town, he'd get killed. Cause he's talking mm-hmm. about how the King came to power mm-hmm. by like kicking someone in the nuts and then k- cutting his head off. Mm-hmm. Yep. I thought True that badass. part ruled. As, <laughs> as someone who's ever been a teen boy, I was like, yeah, I, I see what you're doing there. <laughs> <laughs> I I have to say that okay, don't hate me everybody. I but there okay. are some things that the movie did do better than the book in Whoa. my opinion. Whoa, wow. The movie was not good, but there were some tightening ups of things. And the one thing that I think they did better was they show soldiers of the empire coming in and harassing people in town. And mm. I just didn't feel the empire as a threat or presence yep. in the book. It was constantly referenced that they're evil. And eventually he like sees a slave market, but that's so far down the line. Yeah. And, uh, I just didn't really feel any, like the only, per- the only threat really was the shade. Um, yeah. So, yeah. No, I did. Like I, I did make a note when this story is being told that, Oh, Aragon is just MAGA because the people in his remote village view the government mainly as a thing that takes their money and tramples on their liberties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I did not like not knowing anything about who ran the government or like the services that the government provided. I was like, Oh yeah, this is how people in Montana think of the actual federal. No. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense actually. Uh, but you know, this guy Galbatorix actually, he's a bad, he's a bad he's guy. Very bad. He, he was a, this, he was a dragon rider, Yeah. but his dragon died, but then he wanted to come and like take everybody else's dragons. And then he took their dragons and then he was the evil King yeah. of the empire. Yeah. And so we hate Galbatorix and he sucks. He does suck. He's his mean. whole thing is just basically like his dragon was killed and he like blamed the dragon riders, even though they weren't responsible for it at all. And mm-hmm. it's implied that like, just he went mad with grief and yeah. then he, now he's just crazy. And that <laughs> yeah, keeps being a thing is just people just went nuts and oh, they're bad guys now. And I was just like, is that it really? I think later in the novel, people are talking about why he's using the Urgal to do his dirty work now. And it's you know it's similar to the works in Lord of the in Lord of the Rings, and they're like, well, it's surely a sign of madness that he's working with these monsters. Mm-hmm. He <laughs> a real person wouldn't do that. Like, okay, now when we get these, some of these lore dumps we get from the character Brom, who is the guy who told the nutshot story, but actually. <laughs> He's got a secret history that he takes a very long time to tell our hero Aragon about. 
Um, because well, if I tell you about it all at once, then that'll that makes the book much more shorter. shorter. I this, guess. This, when I say that it dragged for me, this is like a major reason why was his repeated. You don't need to know that information. Knowing that could be dangerous for you. Yeah, you people have attempted to kill this kid like eleven times by now. Yeah. <laughs> Just tell him what is worse than. I mean, what. <laughs> Would you would you uh would you say that this book tended to drag on? <sighs> All right, I'm gonna go. Thanks guys anyway, for having me. Yeah, no, this um, is good. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Anyway, you get some basic kid grown up stuff, and then the egg hatches and a little dragon comes out and he pets the dragon, he gets a cool little mark in his hand that is now he has dragon powers or something. Mm-hmm. And he has to take care of the dragon, but he wants to keep the dragon a secret. And then he talks to Brom and he's like, hey, are dragons a thing? Like, I'm not hey, gonna I'm, I'm asking for a friend for about a friend? my about dragons. And Brom's like, who's your friend? And Aragon's like, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't have friends. <laughs> <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> Uh, and he goes out in the woods to feed his dragon for a while, and when he comes back, his family's dead. Or his uncle has been burned by the Razak. Mm-hmm. Um, nice, uh, nice apostrophe in that word for no reason. Love yeah. an apostrophe. There's apostrophes no all over the place in this book. Lots of umlauts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what, what's a little triangle they put above an A? Um, a little arrow that little triangle? The accent aigu. In fr- no, that's no, that's just you a normal s- accent. The um, mm. I don't know what it's. It doesn't called. matter. But there's well, lots I'm of like little, little bits and pieces on, on the language here. Accent. I'm um, real curious if they if he like knew what they did to words or if he just threw them in there because I know at 15 I would have just been like willy nilly throwing them in there. Different. The, yeah. cir- the circumflex. Oh, the circumflex. Yes, is the name of the little triangle. Weird circumflex, huh. but okay. Mm-hmm. Shut up. <laughs> Stop. Uh. He named the dragon Sephira um, based on a recommendation from Brom. Because um, <laughs> Brom has like this baby names for dragons book <laughs> that he'll just read out of for you if and you go and ask him. <laughs> I guess this is a good point to talk about the Aragon Sephira relationship like overall. Because you, you mentioned it in that Diana Wynne Jones piece, Andrew, and like the way that the book establishes it is they have a mental connection and this is like the way one of the things that magic can do in the book is you can like do telepathy you can get into someone's head and like kick stuff around you can you know but you can like i am each other and send each other photos of what you're seeing um i think it's a, it's a dm craig is a dragon message uh so i don't know you guys are really we, on it tonight i'm appreciating it i'm just gonna sit back and let that happen feel about just like them as a pair because i i think while i do i think i agree with win jones like there's a lot of stuff in this book that is like wow even the plot beats i've seen elsewhere and there are surely character relationships like this but this felt at least like he'd thought a lot about how these two characters might interact i like safira that's i'll, I'll, I'll start with that mm-hmm. I, I thought she was she was mostly pretty good it's it's interesting because she she's a dragon, which in the right. world there haven't been that many lately, but they used to be around a lot and they got in a fight with the elves and then the dragon riders were invented to like quell that whole war. Um, 
she like becomes like a full-fledged person pretty quickly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's not really explained i guess i intuited it was because like because she could hear his brain and i guess other people's brains sometimes she was just like learning language super quickly this is something that i actually wish had been like explained a little bit more because it feels like she inherited the Mm. memory of like every one of her species because she's brand new and she sees the razak and is like calling them murderers and egg breakers and everything she knows she's never seen one before, but she has yeah. this like well of information that she has access to. And Aragon never asks how she knows any of this. It's just sort of taken for granted as if she had been alive for thousands of years already and not yeah. born like there was you know, a, a there was, earlier. There's an interesting thing late in the book where she's talking to Aragon, where she says this thing. Um, she, she's talking to him and she calls him a hatchling. Um, a hatchling, that is what you are. A hatchling struggling into the world. I may be younger than you in years, but I am ancient in my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was an interesting, like, if you're a dragon in this world, you've got this, like, link to other generate like, this some kind of well of deep knowledge that you have by, like, virtue of your species. And I, I that's, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting flourish. It's probably not totally original, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, what does Brahm say? He's like. Stuff just happens around dragons sometimes. You got to be on the lookout. Like, we don't that even know. That is a, yeah. She just, like, makes a crystal tomb, and then later he's yes. like, how'd you do that? And she's like, I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know. Dragons. Remember when Brahm said dragons are to she does. be, like, be like, like that sometimes? <laughs> like, that's that's what it is. So they they have to go on the run because his uncle's dead. He goes off with Brahm and his dragon. I kind of liked that it didn't immediately, even though it's like it's frustrating that Brahm is not telling him things or enough things. I kind of liked that the initial adventure wasn't immediately we got to save the galaxy or whatever. It was I want to get vengeance for my uncle. Mm-hmm. Like, and it takes it's until that kind of ham fisted. Oh, there are slavers in the world. Spider-Man with power responsibility moment that he has later before he signs up to like fight the empire forever. I don't even know. I think you're giving him too much credit when you say it's a Spider-Man moment. It's more like a like a suburban wine mom discovering that injustice exists in the world <laughs> and then deciding that you've been placed on this earth to correct the injustice. Ouch. I that just re- is... I just realized that bad stuff happens and now I'm mad about it. <laughs> oh <my Yep>. God. <laughs> and and like this was something that kind of I will be honest did confuse me is that like I thought it was they have to go on the run, but it's not really framed that way. It's I'm going to find them and take yeah. my vengeance. Mm-hmm. And Brahm's like they're they want you to follow them. This is what they're after. But also, yeah, let's do that. Let's do it. Which I I like. There was just so much conflicting sort of motivation and yeah. And I don't know. It was just sort of a a wild thing to me that like Safira is constantly just waiting outside towns and stuff. 
And mm-hmm. for me, it's like, well, what if they like stole his dragon and he had to get her back? Like, wouldn't that be more of a motivating? And then we don't mm-hmm. have to just have this dragon that's like stuffed in a fridge, forgotten about for half the book, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and then, and then like the exact instant that he catches up to the Razak and actually has to confront them, like they kick his ass because mm-hmm. he's a little boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Like that instantly happened. <laughs> and that, that that's the result of this, like, we have to track their their poison Amazon purchases. We have right. to find the receipts for the poison that they ordered. And that's so how we we're going to know they are. where they're going. And then we can. And I got a look. I did got I did get confused by that. Um, but yes, then he finds him, Andrew. And he's only a baby magician at that point. Oh, my point. God. And so, so he's like, I don't know. So let's let's blast through some stuff. So the the whole the structure of this like first half of the book is he's traveling around with Brom, and they're tra- they're tracking the Razak, and they run into the Urkels a couple of times. But mainly, it's just like Aragon needs to be transformed from a little boy into a warrior man, like super yeah. fast. So mm-hmm. yeah. within the space of six months. Which I can't, I never have learned anything in six months, but he learns how to be as a, an amazing a sword fighter as the world has ever seen. Mm-hmm. He learns yep. how to be a very good magician. He d- basically starts calling himself a dragon rider, which is kind of a fake it till you make it situation. Where uh-huh. <laughs> the, this, this kind of person has not existed on in the world in years and years, but I have a dragon and I ride her. And so I must be a dragon rider now. Like that's my, that's my thing. So he, he just like becomes read in like a week. He, he learns how, how to read, read in, like in a, week. a week. Yeah. Which that's how it happened for me. And he just instantly becomes competent at a bunch of stuff. And I mean, Craig, you brought up the Wheel of Time earlier. I think one of the things that the the early Wheel of Time books are good at is the transition that these characters go through from like country lads to like leaders of men. Like I I think the first three or four Wheel of Time books are very good at organically showing how like being pulled out of this town and told that you have a destiny would actually take some time to like actually be internalized and be a thing that you like believed about yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm. And the book Aragon isn't very good about no, it's that a speed because run. it just, yeah. it just kind of, yeah, it's a hundred percent speed run, learn all the ancient languages, learn all the sword tricks. The like. thing with the magic really drove me nuts. Like, because the first time he uses it, he, evidently as we learn later the way that magic works here is that you need intent behind a word mm-hmm, that yeah. is the linked to what you're trying to do and he just knows a word that was said by Brom once earlier as what Aragon thinks was a curse like a curse word mm-hmm. yeah. and so in the midst of this fight he just blurts that word out with no prior knowledge of what it does he didn't realize Brahm was doing magic at the time mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. never done magic in his life and it's just a total accident and i just think you can't have a magical system that's based on using specific words 
and have the first instance of using that magic be a total accident. Be a total accident. (laughs) You've got to, you know, there's got to be like, you know, he feels the power, but he doesn't know what to do with it. And maybe something happens there where he like perhaps hurts himself because it isn't released or something. And Brom figures out, oh, actually, I think I might know what that is. Well, or or even like he made some link between the way that Brom used the word that made him, I don't know. But like Brom uses it as a match, basically. And then he... Uh, Aragon uses it to no scope a couple of mm-hmm. Urkels. Yeah. I, so the thing, there's two God, thoughts I have. I just on... picturing Urkels like attacking him and it's amazing. <laughs> Jilly I, dogs. I have two thoughts. Oh wait, no, that's his other character. <laughs> on, on some of this stuff. One is the, um, uh, I guess two and a half. One is that we mentioned it earlier. The, the word of power thing does seem... Uh, if not directly, indirectly lifted from Le Guin and the Earthsea series. It's all about like knowing, directly. Yeah. Uh, like you know the true this... name. You know the true name of the thing, and so you have power over the thing because yes. you know its true name. And I did like the little note where they're like, if you knew the name of the language, you could control the entire language. That like that's a cool little like logical thing, which I thought was neat. Um, I think overall, there's like a couple beats where Aragon, in a way that. I certainly identified with was like, well, what is the next logical step of this power I have? And like, well, I could cure a bruise. Could I make a person come back to life? Mm-hmm. And Rob's like, stop it. Could you just not, let's not talk about that. That's a nightmare. And I, I did appreciate the couple of times where you just have a teenager who is discovering these like special abilities. And he's like, well, what could I do with that? Mm-hmm. I bet I could like when he scries for the first time, he's like, could I scry something from my dreams? And you're like, <laughs> yeah, you could, but I guess like no one knows what you're doing, but cool. Um, so I, I like I liked that about Aragon. I think um, that overlaps with the other thing I've been thinking about. I did find a post from Christopher Paulini on Dr. Sanjay Gupta's blog from 2006. Excuse after me? After he'd been... <laughs> in that uh, series about genius uh, and creativity. And he talks about the type of learning um, that his parents used in homeschooling about like putting things in front of him that he might be curious about and then encouraging him to do that research and like having that be the basis of learning. Um, He says the rich environment my parents provided taught us to embrace new knowledge and to enjoy educating ourselves. These are habits that anyone can learn on their own whenever you come across an unfamiliar fact or skill grab hold of it and learn everything possible about it now is that always true i don't know that i agree are there limitations to the things that this could teach you perhaps do i think that a person who was raised this way would think that their hero could also do the same (laughs) i do think so and i think like that's a character trait that is paulini inside of aragon like this is a way the world could work this is the way a person could be. Um, it happens very fast, and it is a speed run. And I think there are. I think you you made a good point, Natasha, that like there are perhaps less errors along the way, or or f- interesting complications as he learns the system. Probably. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I just, he doesn't really make many wrong decisions. It's a. Uh, no. I don't know. It's. It, Look, he's he's a Gary Stew. It's fine. One expects this a lot of the time. <laughs> but I do like 
I wish that, for example, spoilers, Brom dies. Um, yeah. I would like yeah. that to maybe be his fault. Mm. You know, like something that he just has to like live with a really, because that's life, kids. Like you grow up and look back at some things you did and you're just like, oh, that was just my bad. <laughs> this is such a my bad. And I don't feel like there's a lot that he feels that way about beyond just like the regret that something happened. It's never really yeah. a regret about his own actions. Like even, even the times when Brom tells him like you made a mistake, like I don't, I don't actually feel the effects of that. Like mm-hmm. there, there's no. that one, yeah. there's that sequence where he and Brom are being chased by the Urkels and uh, Aragon and Safira like swoop down and scare the Urkels and like, yep. Aragon uses his magic too good and it like tires him out a lot. And then they wake up and like nothing bad has happened. But Brahm was like, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what Brahm is like, you should, you, if anything, you let them get away and now they've seen you and yada, yada, yada. But then Aragon's like, well, but they were talking to me like they wanted to meet me anyway. So like, there's yeah, no, but like, yeah, but like nothing that happens, nothing that happens subsequently would have happened or not happened as a result of that You're encounter right. going yep. different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like that, that's the main thing is like Aragon is just sort of allowed to saunter into any given room and do whatever it is that he wants. And it, end, it always ends up being essentially right after. And you don't actually, you don't actually feel any of his inexperience like coming to bear or hurting him, him or things. anybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, the back half of the book after Brom is killed, he's Spoilers. saved by this. Brom dies. He's well, if you've seen his, Star his, Wars. his learned elder father figure dies, Craig, it's yeah. a huge spoiler. It's very surprising. Nobody saw it yeah. coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, spoiler, he's a dragon rider. Duh. I just made a note that just said, duh. Um, <laughs> I just can't get over Aragon being surprised. like Because that makes it feel to me that the author intended this to be a shock. Yeah. And what? What? Nope. What did you? How? How? What? <laughs> it is where like were that? we supposed to think he knew all of this and then like when he finds out <laughs> that erica named his dragon Safira, there's like a single tear that comes yeah. out like <laughs> there was a single tear boy i wonder what i wonder where this dragon but the same name obviously i wonder i wonder where this guy came from where he knows everything about magic and dragon riders and riding dragons and the kind of marks that you would have on your hand if you rode a dragon man i wonder what this guy's history is What's yep. this, what a mysterious man Brom probably is probably just like a mechanic or something he yeah just like he reads a lot of books <laughs> um but we in, we get we get to meet this character named Murtaugh. Uh, who is a proficient swordsman bowman who saves Aragon when Brom gets killed. And then we get this like second journey where they're going to meet the Varden, which mm-hmm. is the name of the Rebel Alliance in the book. Mm-hmm. And that's where I guess elves are real and they might be involved and dwarves are real and they're involved. And they got to hike across the Montana desert to get to the Varden. They talk about how this vast and trackless, inhospitable desert that takes two days to cross on foot. Right? (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? I kept thinking that was going to continue, and then it's just over, and I was like, oh. (laughs) And I look like, 
Murtaugh is like, you're real confident you could just pull water out of the ground. And Aragon's like, yeah, I am. I'm very confident. Yeah, I am. And then and I when can. it comes and time, he's like, this is way harder than I thought. The water's very deep. And I'm like, you think it's a desert, you jag? <laughs> of course it's harder. <laughs> what are you talking about? And look, the, I'm going to put book, actual the- cash money. It's not in this book. <laughs> but Murtaugh is Mordred. That is definitely his brother. 100%. Oh. No doubt in my mind. I think I mean, and, and Brom is like fifty-fifty. His dad, right? Either him or Murtaugh's dad, so that he's Mork, also Darth like Vader's son. Galbatorix. Or- I don't. So Galbatorix the is the guy. His name is Galbatorix. Mm-hmm. There's Murtaugh and Morzon and Brom. When Brom and Aragon disguise themselves, they call themselves Neil and Evan, yes. and they meet a man <laughs> named Martin. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned this because I could not get enough. I love it. This is this is also a very D- we were talking about the D ness of this, where one person will come to the table with 30 pages of tragic backstory, and like your name is my, my name is Zaar and the elf, and my my grandfather died when I was just a lad, and that's informed my entire tragic past. And then somebody else shows up, and they're like, "I'm Derek the fighter." <laughs> Yeah, this feels true to me. I identify with this. And I just so, feel yeah, like Galvatorix is destined to become a bad guy because his <laughs> name. Anybody who's got an X or a yeah. Z in it, yeah, that's definitely going to be a villain. Played, yeah, you're I like I'm Galvatorix, the yeah. evil king, and I am Angela, the wizard. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how do you pronounce the were cat that hangs out with Angela? There's a oh, werecat that we even? meet. I can't remember because it's in it's the not audio Sub- book. Name. It's not Sebulba because that's a character from Phantom Menace. It's something like Sebulba. <laughs> I am, I am, or you, something? Keep, keep vamping. I'm going to look it up. Celebumbum. Solumbum. Solumbum. I think that is Solumbum. Yeah. S-O-L-E-M-B-U-M. Just a magical cat that we meet who hangs out with Angela. That's it. Who can shape shift into like a boy with a like a child of the forest from a Song of Ice and Fire? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this all this stuff comes to pass. Uh, we meet Angela first. We met Angela in the town where Aragon learned to read, and then we see her again uh, in the dwarven city of Trondheim, and she has a magic cat, and she's also and... trying to prove that toads don't exist, that they're all yeah, frogs. <laughs> <laughs> weirdest monologue I love when he's like well you're holding a toad so they clearly exist and she's like uh, yeah an idiot would think that let me tell I you I want more of that in this book that's Agreed. a good conspiracy theory actually yeah. um, just so like back- a, no, a no stakes conspiracy theory please <laughs> there just definitely needs to be a little bit more leavening with some humor because this book yeah. takes itself so seriously so I think that she was just a bit of a like nice she was, uh, what, what did they give you as a palate cleanser? A little bit of sorbet, right? She was oh, like that sure. in the meal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, and we we kind of glossed over the fact that he, when he broke out of a prison, when he was imprisoned by the Shade and Murtaugh helped him, uh, they also broke out of jail, the comatose elf woman from the beginning of the book. Yeah. Uh, guys, whose guys. Whose name is from one book and whose character is from another book. Yeah. He says, I don't remember if this is from the blurb on the back or an interview, but he says something about like, 
a beautiful maiden who is more than capable of taking care of herself, mm-hmm. which just feels like a really ballsy thing to say about a woman who's literally unconscious, even when she's rescued. <laughs> she's not even awake for the rescue. And you're mm-hmm. like, mm, she can take care of herself. Like, look, yeah, she wakes up and she's a badass sword fighter and that's great. But like, come on, man. There's that whole thing later, like when they're getting ready for that battle where he sees her there and he's he runs up to her and he's like, you're a girl. You can't be in a battle. It's too dangerous. <laughs> and she says, thank you. I am one of the strong female characters who can be like, in a battle. She Thank throws you. a Hadouken at an Urkel and like blows him up. And you're like, mm-hmm. yes, Arya, mm-hmm. please. More of this. Isn't that like, doesn't he say it's too dangerous after she's sword fighted him into the ground? Yeah, yeah. she did kind of kick his whole his ass. And, and he's then he's like, well, you should like, be here. Mm, yeah. Come on, dude. This, this is happening at a, a oddly staged battle at the end of the book where he has uh because well, the book had you one gets the impression that the book had to end and so yeah it was really get, abrupt yeah within yeah. like the last like 10 percent or so going from my kindle uh, progress meter <laughs> like There's, that that is when the the end conflict is invented enacted and resolved <laughs> it's just yeah, very, it's so, very fast it's like he he want, he hooks up with the Rebel Alliance and they're like, listen, you're going to be our dragon rider. It's going to be a big deal. You have to decide whether or not you want to do that. Um, and meanwhile, the king has been marching some elite Urkels through the desert. This was not set up at all. It just shows up at the end of the book. Um, and they break into the Dwarven Tunnels. And I love the part where the one dwarf, I think his name is Olix, he's like, yeah, some bleeding dwarf came out of the tunnels where only the eccentric dwarfs go. We're very lucky that he encountered the Urkels and is here to tell us that they're on their way. Um, and what they they test Aragon for how good he is at magic. The creepy twins. The twins are, probably... are kind of rad. I'll say that I was into them. <laughs> tell me they about the like twins, Natasha. I don't know what to say about them. They're like two bald, nameless magicians. Yeah. Uh, that they And I don't know why they don't have names. They just don't. Like when the king introduces them, he's like, I would tell you their names, but they don't have any. And I was like, mm-hmm. why? Though? He didn't even do like the, oh, you, you're, it's not pronounceable in your tongue. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> their names are the concept of love or something like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they are very sinister. They are part of like an, a magical organization that they want. They simultaneously really want Aragon to join because he's powerful, but also they hate him and yeah, make it really clear. They hate stuff. Him. I love it. Yeah. It's like, and, and when he won't join, they're like rude. And I was like, why would you think that he would want to do that? You were real mean to him, like right away. Um, and later on, they send him a message and they're like, come over here to this weird secluded part that's totally uh, empty where there's definitely an attack about to happen. And later on when he's like recovering from his wounds, he's like, huh, that was weird. The attack wasn't the way they said. And I got jumped by somebody really unexpectedly. And I'm like, wow, yeah, it's a real puzzle. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, they totally ghosted on him. And then he had to kill Darth Maul. Um <laughs> 
It's a shade, Craig. Well, a shade but, with yeah. a with a backstory and a tragic past. Some played by Robert Carlyle in the movie, Whoa, and he is one hundred percent the best part of that movie. He's fantastic. Yeah, Eating and, it and up. that's all. That's the closest we get to one of the the wizard duels that Paulini teases, where like wizards don't actually shoot each other with spells because good enough wizards can see attacks coming, so you have to break someone's brain first. <laughs> and then you can outsmart them, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was kind of neat. But like, we mostly just get this shade business, and then they just, and then Safira and Arya distract the shade, and then he kills the shade. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a guy from somewhere else on the earth, uh, the Morning Sage, is like sends him a DM, and it's like morning, hey. morning with a U, and not yeah. He's like, like, hey, uh, <laughs> the Morning Sage, you you up, uh, book two. Like, that's the message that he sends in. Yeah. Which, you know, okay. <sighs> There's this weird moment at the end, too, where Ar- Aragon is, like, you know, recovering from his wound. And he stands up and they're like, hey, buddy, don't freak out. It's really bad. Oh, and yeah. he has a scar across his back. And he's like, oh, I'm disfigured. Oh, I'm like, no, you I literally look that. exactly the same. What are you talking about? That you just sucked. got a, like a sexy scar that. that nobody can see unless you're topless. Yeah, you know, like that was I, weird. It was bad, and I didn't like it at all. <laughs> it's there, ba- yeah, especially it, it happened in this. There, there's no setup for that. I think, like as a character or in the world, where like that would be something he should be ashamed of, because mm-hmm. it also well, isn't like, like there's a setup where Murtog has a scar like that because. His because dad was a jerk, and he like cut him when he was because they're brothers. Years old. And they have to have a matching yeah. scar because they're brothers and they have oh, well, and if they're not if they're not literally brothers, then they're at least like metaphorical, like dragon bros. But <laughs> yeah, no. Now he has a scar, and the way that he chooses to describe that is that he has a disfigurement, yeah. and that is the worst thing that could possibly have happened. Huh. I figured too Murtog is going to be the one that because Angela says you're going to be betrayed by a family member and he literally has one family member that he knows of who he's like, (laughs) he would not do that. And I'm like, okay, Uh then it's Murtog. He'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did some reading ahead of the like the Wikipedia summaries of subsequent books. And I guess his like his cousin from his like home village who we'd encounter for a little bit and then like disappears for a while like that person comes back in later books and is one of the more interesting parts and then yeah of course Murtagh event like instantly breaks bad but then is redeemed Mm. toward the end of the series I dig it okay yeah I've played Final Fantasy 4 I know how this goes um you stop it the yeah I wish this book rode a whale to the moon I wish this book did anything that interesting there's one other thing that is very small, but again, bringing Please. my baggage to it, I have to mention it. Where he's so, as I've mentioned many times, Arya is unconscious for most of the journey that after she's rescued, and he discovers eventually that she's been tortured for information about where she sent the egg. Of course, uh-huh. her face remains pristine; that's never damaged in any way. Yeah. And then when they're talking about what was done to her later, she says something about how eventually he told his soldiers to use me as they would, but I was able to nudge their minds to make them incapable. (laughs) 
And I was just like, we really just could have not done that part, dude. We could have not done that, but no, she has a magical way to give all the evil soldiers whiskey dick, and yep. so they couldn't do anything. <laughs> Ugh, it sucks so bad. Like, why? Just don't put it in. Oh, God. I didn't, you get what I mean. That's not what I meant. Yeah, no, I know. I did. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a little stuff like that throughout the book. It's right, kinda... and, and well, and and one of the, especially when one of the things that you can say about this book series that might redeem it a little bit is that it is for like children, and so the derivativeness right? of it is not that bad. But then you get like that in this book. Apparently, in another book, some character their hand becomes degloved, which is to say the skin on their hand is ripped off as they're escaping from imprisonment. It's like, that's some deep stuff to put in a kid's book. You, I don't think you can have it both ways. I don't think you could say, yeah, this is derivative because it's for, it's for kids and they won't know. But also let's talk about like sexual assault and Mm -hmm. like taking someone's skin off. I think, I think he, he had said, I wanted to write a book that I would enjoy reading when he was 15 or 16. So I, I, I don't think that he is writing for your, you know, nine or 10 year old who's reading the first Harry Potter book. I, I think, <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. I, I think he is. I'll take your skin off, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Um, but I, I think you're right, though, in that it is like, there's a tension between the credit we've tried to give it in terms of like the tropes that it might use because they're just effective tropes and the stuff that a 15 through 18 year old just like isn't up to handling yet. Um, I, I think for me, if you were to like, Craig, you have to write a paper about the themes of Aragon. <laughs> you have to. Or else you have to read Aragon again. <laughs> no, I did have a decent time with this book. No, you have you have to read Eldest, which is the second book in the series. You're right. You have you have to you keep know, reading the series. I think there is something in this. I will give credit to that Rolling Stone interview that we've cited a few times. Um, is there's something that I think the book probably could have done a better job with, or like made more space for is probably the way I'd phrase it. But like. His, I need to be an independent person. I need to not be, I need to not give myself over to the King Galbatrix and I need Galbatorix. to just do whatever the political forces of the rebellion want me to do. And we, in the like character slash info dump of the last 20 chapters of the book, which is, we meet a lot of people at the end of the book. Um, they all have competing motives and different interests and they're all pretty upfront about it. And they're like, listen, you're important. And a lot of people are going to ask you to do stuff. And both people are upfront about the fact that he's going to need to wrestle with that. Safira keeps reminding him that he's going to need to deal with that. Um, and there is a connection made in that Rolling Stone article between like his upbringing, like Paulini's upbringing and this like family that broke off from this like bizarre survivalist cult scenario of just like the type of independence and like self-sufficiency that I think the book is maybe interested at its best 
could be interested in. Um, I thought that was like, I don't know, if I'm thinking about what worked in the world building, maybe that's what worked. But they could have worked more. There could have been more of it. In <laughs> it a book feels that like had more it's setting of a lot up of other for that stuff. to be a struggle for him in the second book more than anything. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Like they have at the end of this one, him like having to give a baby a blessing. What? That- and it, like being a real high pressure situation where he's like on camera with a mic in his face and they're like, what are you going to say to this baby? And he's like, ah. and he says this. It's in the uh, the like language of power. Ancient, we don't actually tongue. get to hear what he says. It's not mm-hmm. translated. No, and then Safira like kisses the baby on the head, and it gets like a glowing head mark, like a starburst. This is one of one of many things that Aragon accidentally does exactly perfectly. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. despite never having done it before. And I think one person is like, you gotta be careful with that. <laughs> You can't just do that to every baby. And my question is, like, why can't you give that same blessing to every baby? Yeah. Why can't we do dragon socialism? Come on. You know what? You make a really good point about how, like, oh, it was she just happened to be there. And now this kid. And it's interesting because, like, it's not even suggested that his blessing gives power to the child, like, inherently. Safira is like, do you think this kid's going to settle for being a burger flipper when she's got a star on her head? Like, it's just sort of presented like, well, she's going to grow up knowing she's better than other people. So and that'll make her better like, than other people. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it was pretty, sort of it's a actually weird kind way of to, Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess. Sure. Like we, if we in the ancient tongue know a way to like prevent babies from dying of preventable illnesses or whatever, like why don't we just give that to all the babies? Mm-hmm. Like that's you take three afternoons and you do it to all the babies, and then all the babies have it. I don't know why it has to be this thing now. So you have to like ration out to only the most deserving of babies. Now I'm they're not babies; here, they don't deserve I'm, anything. I'm not here to say that Aragon should have been a longer book, but I do think that's I'm yes, no, I'm not here I, to say. I that do think that Aragon would, given enough time, would ask that question, Andrew, <laughs> based on the other ways when he has learned things and gone. Well, what if I could just do it, but more? Like I do think he would be like, well, what if I just gave all the, hmm, mm-hmm. maybe. And then there, someone would be like, that's bad. And then he'd be like, no, I'm the main character. I can do what I want. I can decide what's good. I'm the main <laughs> character. <sighs> what a book, huh? What a book. What a book. It was fun to revisit books that I knew through this book. That was fun. <laughs> I was impressed that in the fandom wikia for this series, there is an entire page dedicated to criticism of the series and like cataloged like comparisons between names and things that just oh, stuck I out to me. I saw that. I was very impressed. I'm just fascinated by it as a, as like a phenomenon that mm-hmm. like in this community, people have like cataloged that information mm-hmm. that I don't know. Yeah, they have like a a chart of like here's the the almost identical word from Tolkien for the name of this like yeah it was side by side and I was pretty impressed that they just went ahead and did it. I'm thinking about like I didn't realize that his family had made him the the sole breadwinner. And when I was looking for information about him, there's a whole website 
that I assume was built by his parents about how to homeschool your kid like we homeschooled our kid. Part of the branding, yeah, for sure. And uh, I'm just really like, I I was so I was so angry when I found out just like how this worked out. But I just the more I find out, the sorrier I feel in a lot of ways because yeah. it just yeah. feels like they decided to cash in on this kid and uh ouch man you know like mm-hmm. and the even his college education was like a correspondence course sure um sure. so i don't know i just it's i wonder if he had had more exposure to other kids who had seen the like all of these movies and everything and he if he got to know how familiar people were with material he was drawing from if he wouldn't have gone down this road with it because i could see thinking that like oh nobody's gonna catch this i'm the only one who's as obsessed yeah, with these yeah, books yeah. you know mm-hmm. but it's just sort of fascinating to me it's like what the idea when you're that age of getting published and growing famous is so seductive but when i look back oh my god i'm so glad that that never happened to me like <laughs> yeah <laughs> well because well, the, the thing whatever it is that i would have written would inevitably have been like mm-hmm. this it would have been yeah. some like obvious pastiche of something <laughs> that the entire rest of the world had read a hundred times i mean even yeah. as it stands i've been podcasting 10 years and there are certainly going to be some things that i have said that somebody could dredge up to milkshake duck me and I will not be able to like, I won't have a leg to stand on. I'll be like, yeah, I definitely said that it's yeah, on tape. Yeah. You got me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and to me, it's like his, the fact that he was this like fantasy wunderkind and like was the one of, I think he held or still holds the Guinness world record for being the youngest, like best-selling author or something mm-hmm. as however they catalog that. Um it, it's inseparable from the book itself, at yeah. least for me as as someone coming to it now. I wonder if that's another thing that like a 12 or 13 year old reader won't come into a reading with Yeah. of like, mm-hmm. oh, it's so fascinating that this young kid wrote this book. He's on CNN talking about his dragon book. <laughs> what? Stop. Yeah. Kids love CNN. <laughs> from what I've seen. Everybody was drawn to it from the cool art on the cover and didn't know anything about it really going into it. So I wouldn't be surprised if that just isn't something that kids find out until later, you know? Yeah, it's probably true. Cool. I think that's probably going to do it. We talked about everything that's possible to talk about. Well, it was fun to talk about Aragon with both of you. I can't wait to talk about the other three books in the series with both of you. (laughs) in the coming months and years of our lives i really like i i want to do that in on the one hand and on the other hand i won't do that this is one of those (laughs) things where you say at first as a joke and then and then you're like well i mean it's not a joke if you if you're into it like let's let's read from other people yeah (laughs) this is really fun thanks guys Yeah, thank you guys very much for inviting me for this one. This was a good time. I uh, yeah, no, sometimes it's fun to be mad. It's fine. Good to do a non Stephen King <sighs> book with yeah. the three of us. <laughs>
That was a HeadGum Podcast.